5 and it's the speed of favor <clears throat> the speed of favor favor really comes from God uh, it is something that's imputed to us like righteousness when we use our faith for it amen when we can grab on and understand that nothing you did that you can put your finger on really got that door open for you or, or got that result in your life, then you know that somehow God has favored you. God has uh, uh, smiled upon you. Uh, you know, you see that over and over in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, where somebody will say, if I have found favor in your sight, in other words, nothing I can do can, can give me the right to ask you for this. But it's something that I need, and if you will favor me and bless me, then I can receive what it is that I'm asking you for. And that's really what prayer is. Prayer is a petition of a person understanding <clears throat> that they may have a promise from God, and they may have an assurance from God that he will hear them. But whether it comes now, when it comes, the degree that it comes is really up to the Lord to decide in the realm of favor how he will favor us and how he will bless us. And so we need to always keep that in mind and that God's favor really, uh, it's better than our knowing how to earn things. Let me put it to you that way. See, if you, like when you go to buy something in the store, there's a price tag on it. And you know if you meet that price tag, it'll be yours. Well, with God, we never know what anything costs. Because he doesn't set a price on it. The price is believing. The price is faith. And then after faith comes favor. That you can move into a realm where it's granted to you. It's not earned by us. Uh, I think sometimes we get faith mixed up with uh, you know, we'll use terms like faith is currency in the spirit because we don't understand a better way to explain it. But it's not something that is the official price of this is so and so much faith. You know, you, you can't measure it. Uh, you can only say that, well, God, I'm trusting you. I'm putting my confidence in you. And if you if I have found favor and my confidence in you is adequate for what you believe is needed to release that to me, see, there's still the element of favor involved in it where we can't really say, I paid the price for this and God gave me this. He can always do exceeding abundantly beyond all we ask or think. And many times we don't know what's required in a situation to say that we bought, we paid for something and we bought it. God does not owe us anything other, other than what he's covenanted with us to grant to us by our faith in him putting confidence in him and his favor allowing that to come into our lives so favor really can be thought of as the ability for us to receive in an unmerited way see it takes the the price tag off of things spiritually speaking because if we believe then favor grants us <clears throat> the ability to receive it into our lives and so once we understand that there's nothing we can do to earn it 
You can't be good enough. You can't confess enough. You can't do anything enough on the scale of, of earning to tip it in your favor, to earn something. In that is God's mercy and his favor and his desire to bless us. So it's really on God to meet the requirements for us where we just put our faith and confidence in there in him. So it's not something that can be really measured, but it's something that we can, and you can relax. You know, you don't have to do everything right now. You don't have to earn anything. You don't have to pay a price. You don't have to, have to, have to. It's already been paid for us, and we'll believe that. Amen. So then the element of believing becomes our responsibility. But how do we know when our faith is adequate? We don't. So really, you can receive it any time from God. You don't have to say, well, it's going to take X number of months or X number of days to, I've tried that. I've, I've tried like praying and, and trying to figure out how long I had to wait for something. And before I knew it, I had to pray for something else again. So I lost count. I'm glad I lost count because there's no way that you can't put your little finite brain to God's great goodness. You know, it just, you just lose your mind trying to keep up with, with nickel and dime and God to death. <clears throat> I used to do things like well, I, I would hear people give testimony, a favorite testimony of Roberts, where he gave a certain amount of money to a ministry, and God kept saying, this is part, this is part. Well, that was for him. He never said, God, what about me? How come you can't never tell me this is part, you know? Because I'm too busy trying to nickel and dime him. It's, like he's, it's almost like he said, if I told you that, you'd be back to nickel and diming me, and you wouldn't give free, and you're giving the way I want you to be. Amen. And so God wants us to be like he is. He's a free giver. And so if we can freely give, it's like you never know if you've given enough to get certain things you need from God. So you keep giving. That's the purpose of it is to keep you giving. And so and to live a life where you're not tied to things and you're not stingy and you're not measuring everything and feeling like you don't have enough. You know, that lack mentality is something that we all fight to free ourselves from. You know, we're always saying so-and-so has a poverty devil or a poverty spirit, probably because we see it in ourselves, you know. And so we hate that thing. But the only way you can get rid of it is to get free in your giving. See, if, you, if you're a free giver, you don't think lack. You think abundance and you think return and, you know, that kind of stuff. So he's just putting us in a, a freed up mindset of how to live our lives and how to be blessed to the maximum. You know, if, if you see people, if you can think, how can I bless this person? You know, that's a free giver. If you are in possession of things and, you know, you get something that doesn't fit you, you know, I do this a lot. I'll buy I'm a I'm a big sale buyer of things that look good online. Then when you get them in the house, they don't even look like you. It ain't the color you thought it was. And so immediately my mind goes, well, who will this fit because it doesn't fit me? You know, and it, it's not enough money to, to really for you to package it back up and go shipping it off. So, And, you know, that's how God gets me to bless people. I think I'm getting it for me. And he'll know in advance that ain't for my stuff. He said, I ain't going to wear all this stuff. You ain't wearing what you got in there now, you know. And so these are, are the things that we, we do. He has to do something in the natural to get us involved. 
you know, when I think I'm going to be a, a great fashionista, I'm very much involved, you know. Then I find out it ain't my niece, somebody else's niece that he's taking care of. So, so he wants us to freely give. Why? So he can freely give back to us. We're the main recipients of our giving. Never, never nickel and dime and, and inch your life. Let God tell you how to give, when to give, to whom to give. You know, it's always fashionable to give to the poor or to somebody that really struggles or, or somebody you want to bless. When we give to the young people, they got to go away to school. I know what that's like. You know, when I moved and, in, in you know, we didn't have a lot of food growing up. When it, and that's probably why I'm always squirreling away stuff. <laughs> I'm not a squirrel, but, you know, I'm always hoarding food and I shouldn't but you know that's my main thing but uh and and I've learned how to be a little more diligent about not wasting you know that's one thing I don't do is wasting you know that kind of thing but you know sometimes those old habits can can form a mindset in you that's really difficult to break and so when I went away to college there was no refrigerator in the kitchen where you could go and just you had to get stuff and put it in your room or save it or something like that and it was kind of a struggle because sometimes you get up you miss breakfast over there in the cafeteria you don't want to eat it anyway and uh you know you miss some meals and you find out well there's not a store you can go to there's no resources here and so in college you can almost be in poverty and in lack because of not having things conveniently stored the way and, you know, most kids in college, they don't buy, they've never bought food. Mom and daddy bought that food and brought it in there. So they're shocked a lot of times when they have to go to the grocery store and find out what stuff costs. And so it's good to give into that because for them it's only going to be a short period of time. And back pretty soon they'd be right back in mama's refrigerator again and everything's fine. So, you know, for sometimes when people have those temporary uh, shortages, or temporary lack situations, it's good as believers to sow into that so that they're not stressed and pulled apart. They're there to study, and they're there to prepare for their future. They're not there to pull their brains out trying to figure out how to eat and all that kind of stuff. So, And it's appreciated very much. You understand what I'm saying? We, we do appreciate you give like that. And so we always have to be in tuned to providing where we see lack and that's a major way to get rid of lack in your own life is to make provision wherever see lack is a spirit and it's a spiritual condition wherever you see that condition you attack it and put provision in that place and if you attack it everywhere you see it it won't cling to your life it won't have any grounds to cling to you because you're always on attack mode when you see it. So you're on attack mode when it tries to get involved in your life as well. And so you, you make it a principle. Wherever there's a lack, I attack. Amen. And just jump on it and bring the provision into that lack. And when it starts to try and creep into your life, you've already, you're already pounced and ready to jump on it. See what I'm saying? You, you can get the best of that thing if you'll attack it that way. And so it's great to know that lack does not have to be a permanent part of your life. And if you'll attack it as a principle, just like sin. 
whenever you see it, you, you attack it. You know, you attack it with, with uh, avoiding it. You attack it with renouncing it. You attack it in prayer. You attack it in counsel. You see people being disobedient. You share with them. You know, it would be a lot better for you if you do this. God could bless your life tremendously if you would cease doing that. You know, come on, let's pray and ask God to strengthen you so you can say no to these Things that continually drag you down. And so these are ways to allow provision to come in so that there's no lack. And this always increases favor in your life. Whenever you obey God's word, that gives him ground to favor you to bring a blessing in your life. He has grounds now. He has a reason to favor you. And bring a blessing into your life. And so this is this is how we live, folks. This is what we do. I had, you know, the, the enemy just tried to, you know, and I, a lot of times it's so, it's so common he's always doing something. It doesn't even phase me. I just, you know, ask God and stay with God on it and pretty soon it's eliminated. But recently he's been trying to steal money from me out of all kinds of different ways. And so, uh, you know, a couple people sued me. Why? I don't hurt a flea. You know what I'm saying? Out of nowhere. Just papers come to your house and they taking you to court for this. And on both occasions, God got me free legal help. You understand what I'm saying? He's always given this ministry free legal help. But this was for my personal needs where he gave me free legal help. We had one situation, the, the building we moved out of in Detroit, where the family, because they don't, have any paperwork or know what what we paid or anything like that then they're taking us to court and so we have these situations where if you had to deal with it in the natural these things would be very costly to you you don't know if you're going to win you don't know any of these things but God had always given me such a peace about these things you know and, and just understanding that they'll never give victory They'll never be able to overcome and overtake what belongs to me because God protects that and he helps that and he, he will make sure that you. But see, I've had to store years of the sevenfold return in my house. You understand what I'm saying? And stopping the devil at the door before he even gets started instead of getting involved in it and then you get scared and then you're, you're trying to catch up and you're trying to find somebody and all this kind of stuff. It's good to have that history with God where you've trusted him through these difficult things so that when you go into it, you, you take your steps, but all the way you're assured no weapon that's formed against you will prosper. The devil's not going to, you know, when you're a widow and you're by yourself, you think you're going to wind up in the poorhouse period because that's the way it goes with most women who are alone. You understand what I'm saying? And so the enemy wants to continue to make me struggle over that. But over the years, God has given me such a peace about it that when it, if it comes up and when it comes up, it's almost like it didn't really happen because he's, he's done that for me. Same thing, I was running to emergency room. You know, my blood pressure shot up and the devil's laughing at me and all this stuff. And these bills start adding up. And then all of a sudden, 
with a bill, I got a letter. If you don't have insurance to pay, fill this out. I said, that's me. I'm filling it out. And so all those bills disappear. You understand what I'm saying? And I'm talking about tens of thousands of dollars of bills, you know. I worked in the emergency room. I said, Lord, I didn't think my services was worth this much money. You understand what I'm saying? But, but you know, it, it's expensive. And so God, in, in favor, will allow you to have the assurance. You didn't hear me. See, you you need to see assurance takes the struggle out of it. Assurance takes doubt out of it. Assurance takes fearing that you're going to lose something because if you have to pay for this, what it's going to do to you. Assurance takes that out of the equation so you can peacefully believe God and wait until your your deliverance comes in the re- reality. You don't have to worry, well, God, if this doesn't happen, suppose this and suppose that. And suppose it don't get this. Suppose it don't get yeah, It's going to get that. Amen. Because you're favored by God. That means he smiles upon you. Favor has nothing to do with human beings doing nothing for you. Favor has to do with God lifting his countenance upon you. And he will move into your life what you need or he will make it for you. You understand what I'm saying? Your God will make it for you. If nobody on earth has it, he'll make it for you. You understand? That's what favor does. It's a creative force that creates for you what you need. So we need to quit putting God in our mind and try to get in his mind. You understand what I'm saying? We pull God over into our way of thinking, which is so limited. We need to move into his head. Which is the word of God. Which is your Bible. And meditate on it. And start understanding what God wants to do for us. If we will trust him and believe him. It's interesting when they were developing the nation of Israel out of Palestine. uh, During World War II the British had owned Palestine. They had to decide what to do with it. It wasn't popular anymore. For nations to have all these foreign nations under their control and under their dominion, colonialism, it was coming to an end. And so they had to decide what to do with the land of Palestine. They had decided that there was, there was always Jewish people over there. There was a Jewish part and there was a Palestinian part. And over the years, they had observed, which with, observed what each group did with their parcel. The Jew was able to come in there and irrigate, cause crops to grow. The Palestinians lived in tents and were nomads. It was still a desert. They had very little to show for producing in their land. Why? The Jew had covenant with God. He was understanding favor. All I mean, even though they don't have the new covenant like we have, they got one. Because they can dig back into their resources. Israel has every modern technology you could ever think of. Some of our, uh, the, um, uh, I was mentioning to Lil Howard, I was mentioning to you about that uh, video where they're eliminating all these big trucks to do recording and stuff. You tell me, nah, they still got them. I'm telling you, Israel made, they have a backpack that eliminates that whole big truck that they have for production. I'm talking about a big events. They developed that over in Israel, and they've been using it little by little, bit, perfecting it. But little by little, you're seeing these photographers now showing up with these little backpacks 
and they can they can live stream to people they can record they can do editing when they feel like it all of that stuff is done from a very small package anymore why these people believe that they when they said that when they see a problem they believe they're going to come up with an answer see and this is what we need to do as believers with God's favor that we will come up with the answer we will come up because God is unlimited in his ability to help us and to see it send a remedy for the things that we face on this earth. And so this is part of the Amos 9:13 season where you're going to see unlimited resources in God, immediate remedies of things. We see it when we see a divine healing, when we see a miracle healing. We see an immediate elimination of disease, infirmity, weakness, whatever that is in a person's body. We're going to see it in more areas. If you can see it in a physical healing, you can see it in technological advances. You can see it in all kinds of things. And so we can expect then as believers for God to increase things at the speed of favor. Favor is how fast can he make you aware of the fact that he's going to do it for you. That's the speed of favor. As fast as you're aware that God will do it for you, that's as fast as it will happen. So I said all that was my intro to uh, page uh, 47, chapter 5. He says here, the author says, I'm convinced that the closer we get to the manifestation of the kingdom of heaven, the less confining seasons will become. Because God is going to pour out more of himself onto the earth. When God comes in, there's, there's no telling what he'll do and when. I know one thing, he ain't as slow as we are. Less confining seasons will become. He said, I believe we're entered into a prophesied era of Amos 9.13 with typical concepts and understandings of seasons will be eclipsed by the power of God. So he moves in with himself and eliminates everything. See? And just brings a blessing. When you receive your blessing from God, the wait is over. He manifested and that caused the wait to be over. He can do that anytime with anything. When he manifests, the waiting's over. It's here. And so he's going to do that more and more. To grasp that thought, it was important to remember Amos was a shepherd farmer and God spoke to him in expressions and metaphors that farmers could easily understand. So he talked in harvest terms when he spoke about the plowman and the reaper. The two major most important people in the process of sowing and reaping. The plowman was responsible for preparing the ground for planting. So he was responsible for that. And obviously the reaper was responsible for gathering the harvest from the previously planted seeds. There is, however, in the Amos text, a most unusual description given as it relates to the sequence of timing of their respective labors. The Lord declared that the plowman shall overtake the reaper. The word overtake is defined in dictionary terms as catching up with and even passing by something or someone. The scriptural use of this terminology strongly indicates a swift and accelerated process of bringing in the harvest so that the distance between planting and harvesting becomes shorter and shorter. In fact, when it says the plowman will overtake the reaper... That means that before you even sow it, it comes into manifestation. But some of you don't believe that. 
I said before you sow it, it comes into manifestation. Because God knows you're going to sow it anyway. Let me say that again. You see, one of the things that we, we don't understand about God is that he, he knows the thoughts and intents of our hearts. It says, if you keep your vow, you can decree a thing and it will happen. God watches our words, how we perform what we say. If you're a person who doesn't keep their words, you don't think integrity, following through on what you say you're going to do is very important. You don't keep your word. You won't benefit from this. This is for people who keep their word. So God looks at you and says, oh, I know her. She's going to do this because she always does this. And I, he knows the end at the beginning. He sees you doing it already. That's why he'll release it to you before you even complete a thing. You have to get the concept of time as a factor that works by itself. Time is under God's control. So you have to see time with respect of the one who created time and owns time. That's God. He does anything he wants to do with time. He's advanced many of us many things in our lives. We just don't pay much attention to it. But sometimes you'll get something out of nowhere. I don't even remember praying for that. I don't even remember. That's what I'm talking about here. See, he looks at the intent of your heart. He looks at your integrity. Yes, he looks at your record. Can he trust you to do what you say you're going to do? Amen? Everybody looks at everybody's record. That's why people who come out of prison are so, you know, angry and upset. Because they know their record going to get looked at. Amen? You know, God knows who he can trust. He gives things that he wants to get done to trust. If you're a parent... And you got Pete, repeat, and three Pete, and four Pete don't never do nothing. He's the last one you call if something's important that you want done. That's just, that's just wisdom. And that's what God does. It's good to be on time with God. It's good to be diligent with God. It's good to keep your word. If you say, I don't care who you give your word to. There are no people that are worthy of you reneging on your word because God watches that. You know, he watches to see, he watches his word to perform it. He watches our words to see whose words he can perform as well. So don't be the slothful kind of person that'll say stuff and then don't do it and don't do it on time. Don't keep people waiting for you. You know, you say you're going to be somewhere at 2 and you drag in there at 4.30 with a bunch of excuses. You'll be the last one to get God involved in any because he knows what you're not going to do. But for people that he can let the plowman overtake the reaper, he can do that. He can do that because he knows that you're going to do it and you're trustworthy with what he has given you. I don't care what it is. If it's just, you know, cleaning up your bedroom, you tell yourself, I'm not going to leave this house with the bed unmade. If that's what you tell yourself, then you keep your word to yourself and God watches that. Huh? And if you can't keep it to yourself, you won't keep it to anybody else either. You'll be an eye servant. You know, people, you'll be doing stuff as long as somebody's watching. When they're not watching, you slough off. And you hurt yourself that way. And so God wants us to be people of integrity. We say what we mean, we mean what we say, and we do what we say we're going to do. Amen. It doesn't matter who we make the promise to.
So a farmer's understanding of the typical planting and harvest process dictates a time span of four months has to transpire before any reaping can be done. And for some of our prayers, it's more than that. Four months would be a, a jewel if you could, oh, I only have to wait four months for all of this. Yeah, right. <laughs> so he says in Genesis 8.22, after Noah had built an altar to God, a promise was made that farmers had lived and died by ever since. As long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, night and day will never cease. However, Jesus one day when speaking to his disciples alluded to a supernatural adjustment in the seasons. So God can supernaturally adjust seasons, times, anything that he wants to do. People who work in restaurants replaced all their conventional, what they call conventional ovens, what you and I typically have in our kitchens with the convection ovens they supernaturally decrease the cooking time on things when you bake them how they do it they put a fan in there and with a, a strong motor that circulated the heat in a greater fashion it intensified and sped up the cooking process on many things microwave is not the same you don't get the same results they're trying to speed up everything but they were able to speed up the cooking process of normally baked food in such a way that they didn't have to wait as long. If you had customers that wanted food, you could throw it in there and knew it was going to happen much more quickly. Made it much more efficient. So we all want to cut down the amount of time that it takes for certain things to be done. And so God understands that and that's why he created that he would step in supernaturally and bring himself into the situation. So Jesus really rebuked the disciples and told them, don't say anymore that it will be four, lo- four months and then the harvest. Amen. He says in, in John 4.35, Jesus addressed their limited vision with a stern directive. Don't ever say any longer four months and then comes the harvest. So what he says here is God puts the times and seasons in his hands. And even though God has dictated a certain amount of natural time for a crop, the supernatural crop comes in at a different pace. So God can supernaturally do this and he will do it. This isn't magic and this isn't wishful thinking. This is the desire of God and the plan of God. There are some people who have been in sin long enough. And God wants them saved. That's what Jesus is saying here. They've been beat up by the devil long enough. They've been in darkness long enough. They've been in confusion long enough. They need to come out uh, from the from and be harvested. So he says, but I say to you, behold, the fields are already white to harvest. So you and I know this to be true. You can be talking to somebody in the supermarket and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit will start steering that conversation around to himself and the knowledge of God. Amen. You can have a conversation with some somebody and just have a nice will you have a nice day or you have a blessed day or you know something you know I always like to wear our t-shirts because they always get people's attention to engage you in some conversation. Usually it'll be another believer, but that's good you encourage another believer, but you can have an opportunity 
to witness for Christ because it, there's something in the conversation already that they can grab onto. And so we know the fields are already always ripe to harvest. You don't put off and say, well, gee, I don't know how long this person has been prayed for. If I should even mention the Lord to them. No, you mention the Lord because of this. You believe this. You believe today is a day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. All God told us to do is go forth and preach. Open your mouth. Let him fill it with words. Amen. Not words that you want to talk yang with people about. You know what I'm saying? But words that will edify and words that God can can cause to prosper. You know, he'll confirm them with signs following. And so there was a harvest here that Jesus saw. The master was making it crystal clear that their normal understanding of the seasons, with all of its enormous hindrances and challenges, had been eclipsed by God's supernatural intervention. And he declared to him, the harvest is now. You can always win a soul. You can always witness to somebody. You can always tell somebody about Jesus. Even the established order of nature is no match for God's divine and hastened interruptions. The established order of religion is no match for God's miracle timing either. The Lord's visit to the synagogue is recorded in Luke chapter 4. He went in there one day and sat among many who were looking for the Messiah. But not that day and not him. You got me? We're looking for something but we don't know the timing of it. The timing of it is always up to God. And so they were looking for the Messiah, they thought, but they were not looking at him. After all, he was the poor son of a poor carpenter. They thought the Messiah, with all of his promises of hopes for a new Israel, surely wouldn't come for another thousand or two thousand years. You know, most of us live in a thing where we, we read in the Bible And we know the Bible says God is going to come, but we don't even think of it being soon. That's most people. Jesus was in, or the ones that think it's coming soon want to put a date on it. And they're wrong too. Jesus was invited to read from the sacred scrolls, a passage from Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. He began reading with clarity and anointing the prophetic word, and anointing the prophetic words foretelling the come of the Messiah. And he spoke, the spirit of the Lord God's upon me. He's anointed me to preach. And then after reading the book, he went to a seat while everybody was waiting for the synagogue elders to comment. Jesus spoke up and said, this day, (laughs) the scripture is fulfilled in your ears. It's the this day that gets most of us in trouble. Because if we can believe it's this day, when somebody says this day, we'll receive. But the Pharisees didn't believe it because they fought him tooth and nail on his doing miracles, on anything. They thought the Messiah's coming when we think he's supposed to come. Or he's coming when we've milked as much money out of these people as we can get. Or we've got as much prominence as we can get with our long robes and and, uh, long prayers. And so they weren't ready because they were complacent with life as it was in their day. And sometimes, even though life isn't what we want it to be, we can get complacent with it the way it is in our day. And not really get expectation in our hearts. Not really let hope rise up in us that we can have a better day because God sees us and he wants to bless us. He sees our prayers. He sees our efforts. 
and he wants to bless us. We have to get our faith in sync with what God wants to do. And many times our faith is over here and God's up here in our face trying to do something for us and we don't believe it's time yet. Or we don't believe it's here yet. Even though a few minutes ago we were asking when is it going to come. And so we have to learn how to get ourselves in tune with God by staying attentive in the spirit. By staying alert in the spirit. By believing anyhow even though we don't see it ever. You got me? But knowing we'll see it one day. You got me? There's a, a something where we want to quit and say it's never going to happen for us. Or, you know, a popular thing when people get themselves into trouble, God's forgotten us. God don't forget nothing to nobody. Just make sure you don't forget God. You're the one who's forgotten him. Amen? Because you're talking like a crazy person. Huh? What most people do is they mess things up. And then they want to blame God and say, God's not true. Just like the disciples. Don't you care if we drown? Do you care if you drown? Jesus said, use your own faith. Don't be waking me up to do something you could do. What you need to do when you feel like that, you need to start worshiping and praising God anyway. And stop looking for a handout for him. Because your attitude's bad. He's not going to come and visit anybody with that kind of attitude. And that's why the religious never get the benefit that the person of faith gets. Because they always thinking something's happened, so God owes them something. It's never enough. It's never good enough. It's never fast enough. It's, it's just all bad news for them. And what you need is a change in attitude. You need a change in your hope. You need to change. You do that. God's not going to come down here and make you hope for something better. you got to do that. You have all the tools that you need to keep your faith where it needs to be so God can bless you. But Jesus said, this is happening this day. This scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Now, that can't get much plainer. This day, right now, this is happening. His hearers were shocked to hear Jesus say such a thing, but perhaps more astounded at the thought that Almighty God has suddenly accelerated time in their very presence. We're believing for the Messiah. We know the signs. We're hoping, hoping, hoping. Huh? Here he is. What are you going to do? Well, that's not him. Couldn't be, because we're still hoping. Sometimes your answer is right in front of you, and you don't take it because you, you put God on the back burner Like he's holding off something that will bless you because he's just mean like that. You know what I'm saying? God wants to accelerate time every day for us. He wants us blessed every day. And so he's not sitting up waiting and putting it off and torturing you with time. That's not what's going on. But he wants to bless you even though you may not believe it and you may not act like it and you may not think it's going to happen. But he wants to see some rejoicing. He wants to see some anticipation. He wants to see some expectation so he can move. He can't move on a discouraged person. And he can't move on a person that's waiting for it to happen one day. He moves on the person who believes it's any day now. I can be blessed. I can be healed at any time. Any time your soul can be converted from discouraged to greatly encouraged. And that thing can move into your life. God can bless him. But bless you. But I'm saying this, the Amos nine thirteen season, you gotta you gotta have that on your mouth and on your lips all the time. 
Uh, you know, people will, will text me or tell me about praise reports and I'll say Amos 9.13. Why? Because I want to remember that all. I want them to remember it. I don't want you to forget. I want you to know it's happening. That's what we're in now. And so, and it's not that I'm not rejoicing with you, but put you in remembrance to stay in mind and keep your faith out for that to happen on a continual basis. So this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. God has suddenly accelerated time in their very presence. The Messiah came in his own season, not man's. God does things after the counsel of his own will, not ours. And if he wants to blow your mind and just move stuff right into your life overnight, he'll do it. You got me? And so we need to, and we need to appreciate that that's an answer to prayer. Where we blow it is we have a ho-hum reaction to something that God did supernaturally to bless us. Amen? That's where we blow it. And so we need to rejoice. If you rejoice in advance, it'll come in faster. If you can keep an encouraged attitude in your life, things will happen for you suddenly. He accelerated time in their very presence, annihilated their calendars, put their timepieces in the hyperspeed, and brought the year jubilee right in the middle of their day. He can do it for us. He's going to do it for us. What are times and seasons to God anyway? He sits above the circle of the earth, says, says Job. Below, time has a beginning and an end. He is above it all. He moves in and out of time at his pleasure. And years become months, months become weeks, weeks become days, days become minutes, minutes become seconds. And seconds transform into instantaneous miracles of God's manifested glory. What is seed time? It refers to more than a specific moment, day, or month. Some Bible teachers interestingly interpret Genesis 8.22 and separate the word seed time into two words. In other words, it's not just the time you sow seeds, but it's a time in between seeding and harvest. Amen? They kind of drag it out for the sake of emphasizing that you've got to deal with time that it takes for stuff to grow. He says their interpretation is, is understood in this manner. As long as the earth remains, there will be seed, comma, time, comma, and then harvest. Again, the idea is highlighted that time comes between planting and reaping. There's a season of planting and a season for reaping and a whole lot of working, watering, weeding, and waiting in between. So there is a... These are things that show your faith in the harvest. All of those, the four items he's talking about that's coming up are necessary to show your faith in the process. You have to tend your garden in order to let God know you anticipate a harvest. You just can't plant, go sit down, or go play and let it come up on its own. There's things to fight to get it into the earth. There are things to fight on everything that we're praying for. You gotta resist the devil. You gotta resist the temptation to go off and leave your harvest before you get it. There's all of this stuff to, those are your weeds. You gotta pull weeds out of your own brain that tell you God's not gonna do it for you. 
Because God looks at what you do to determine what you believe. I'm going to say it again. He looks at what you do to determine what you believe. Faith is an action. It's not an attitude. And it's not some rare commodity. But faith is an action. How you spend your time determines what you believe. And what you're believing God for. If you spend your time tending to your prayer life. Tending to what you put into the ground as far as seed is concerned. Every time you enter the realm of the spirit, you're tending to your prayer. Did you know that? Whether you, you're praying for yourself or not at that particular, you're tending to your own prayer. Every time you, you, tend your, you step into the realm of the spirit. If you step into the realm of the spirit to worship, you're tending to your prayer. If you step into the realm of the spirit to pray for somebody else, you're tending to your prayer. If you tend to, if you step into the realm of the spirit just to meditate on the word of God and listen for God's heart, you're tending to your own prayer. Why? Because the Bible says he increases the fruits of our righteousness. Any righteous act that you do increases the fruit of your own righteousness, and that fruit is is your harvest. So your harvest is always increased with worship. Always. <clears throat> it's always increased with meditating and spend time with God in his word. <clears throat> Whether you're thanking him for that prayer or mindful of that prayer or not, it's being tended to. So working is one of the four things that must be done. He says, with this established season comes the expectation that three to four months of labor and toil must be endured as well. We know from the time of Adam we've lived by the sweat of our face or the sweat of our brow. And so God was speaking to Adam about hard and fallow ground when he implied plowing would result in excruciating weariness. When Amos wrote of plowing, he was familiar with the common practice of his time. Late October was typically the time of preparing the ground, left hard from the searing heat of summer, but now softening with the biblical early rain. So October was when their early rain came in and it softened the ground. Just like our springtime comes a rain that softens the ground so you can dig it up and you can put some crops in there. <clears throat> it was very, very hard labor. The plowman was the one that stood behind the ox and had to plow up that fallow ground and make it malleable so that seed would go in and not be choked off and not be dried out. And so there was a lot of tending. Watering was the next step. Growing crops in Old Testament Israel was a challenge. The country's location between the Mediterranean Sea and the desert produced unpredictable rainfall. They would, uh, the soil was rich throughout the country, but absence of shortage of rain made it necessary for farmers to catch water in cisterns made of stone. The early rains came in late October and early November. The latter rain came in March and April, just before the harvest. So there had to be two rains, one to prepare for seeding, the other one to prepare for harvest. During the interim, a rainfall was, if rainfall was scarce, the farmers used a type of dipper on a long pole to lift water from the cistern and direct it in the hand of ditches and reels that would take it to the crops. Keeping the growing plants watered was a back-breaking job. So the Israelites 
understood that in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. The next one is weeding. When the farmer grew grain crops, he might allow weeds to grow along with the barley and wheat. Remember the story of the wheat and the tares? They grew up together. He said, let let them grow up together because tares didn't take much soil, much nourishment away from the wheat. If you got a a weed that's going to choke out your crop, you got to pull it up out of there. So they grew a lot more things than wheat for something that would choke out your, your crop. You had to pull that that uh, um, weed away from around it plants are like this when they're threatened they stimulate growth so if you didn't get a weed by a weed by the roots if you just lopped it off it got threatened and started produce more impetus to grow so they grow faster if you chop them off and so you have to really dig hard and, and get around that and get your 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 um, weeds out from killing things like cucumber, leeks, onions, garden, uh, garlic, and lentils. Weeds could not be permitted to overtake these vegetable crops, robbing them of soil, nourishment, and water. Vineyards, too, required seasonal weeding before the grapes were harvested. <clears throat> and so the farmer had to enlist everybody in the household for labor. Amen? Everybody in that household had to be employed the children that's why if you had a lot of children you were considered to be blessed because there was more labor for the things your life was hard and you needed those hands to keep things going the last part of it is waiting under usual circumstances the period between the seeds were planted and the time the yield produced is a time spent in working watering weeding and waiting growth by the laws of nature requires sunshine water and the passing of time for the earth yields crops by itself first the blade then the head after that the full grain of the head this is the normal process but there is nothing normal about the amos 9:13 season often we give ourselves uh, to what i call the worry of waiting man the worry of waiting <clears throat> Most of us handle anything better than anxiety that the anxiety that comes with waiting. For most, the second hand on the clock moves too slowly. For others, the battery has completely died. We find ourselves in a time of warp, of longing for unfulfilled dreams. Isn't that true? Our questions to God can be wrapped in one word, and that's when. Lord, I can handle the working, watering, and weeding, but I have to ask you when. The waiting's the hardest thing to endure. You dedicated your children to God when there were babies. Promises from God's word have been your comfort through the years as you watched them struggle with temptation, sin, wrong decisions. Frequently, frequently you found yourself asking God when. When are they going to serve you? When are they going to mature? When are they going to com- get committed to you, Lord? You know all the verses of scripture that apply to your need for patience. You quote them often, but you're still left asking the question, when? You regularly rehearse the meaningful words found in Isaiah 40, 31 that read, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Amen. But still you ask when. You remember the words of Paul in Romans 8, 18 about how life's current sufferings are minimal when compared with our future glory, but still you want to know when. You memorize the entire third chapter of Ecclesiastes, but you ask when. 
David asked a similar question in Psalm 119.84 when he inquired, How long must your servant wait? Job's wife asked it in Job 2.9, How long will you cling to your indignity, curse God, and die? To your integrity, curse God, and die? Joseph must have asked it a thousand times in prison, when and how long? You've asked it standing in hospital hallway, and maybe you pondered it in leaving the cemetery graveyard service, why and when? Everyone expects those grueling and stressful situations of waiting. We expect situations of waiting. This is the normal process, but there is nothing normal about the Amos 9.13 season. In the Amos 9.13 season, number one, you will encounter greater favor. Favor, when you think of favor, think about things being released into your possession. That's what favor is. They are released in your possession. You experience greater faith. That means you won't be stopped. You won't stop and question, did God tell me? When is God going to do it? Your faith will match what God wants to bring into your life. Yeah? You will engage in greater focus. You will be, uh, uh, you will be laser focused in the things of the Spirit. Just like when Jesus said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled, and so many people didn't believe it. They fought him every day. The ones who believe it asked him for what they thought the Messiah could do for them. Healing, deliverance, release from poverty, raising from the dead. All of those things the believers asked for, but the doubters never put any faith into motion with that. That was when uh, Pastor Shirley was speaking about the watchman and why some people don't understand this ministry and she said she believes it's because they're thinking of a watchman just working in the natural realm and not in the realm of the spirit and i have to agree because people who are in the spirit find and know what's going on all the time people who are in the in the natural looking for a natural fight to get involved in or go and take a city by marching into it and making the devil behave or something like that I mean, sometimes that's necessary, but for the most part, apostles and prophets don't roll like that. You know, they pray, they believe God. God tells them to put them in in the possession of certain implements and things to use. They use them. But mostly this office is governed through influence. You know, you influence people. Uh, You influence the ones who are going to get out and do the work. You're not there trying to do it all yourself. And so these are things that are very important for us to understand. If you stay in the realm of the spirit with this and don't get so caught up of looking in the natural, when am I going to get my this and when am I going to get my that? And when am I going to get my if you stay out of that it takes discipline, not as much as you think, and it takes confidence in God, not as much as you think. You got me? It's not something that it's it's going to build up in you over time confidence isn't something you build up over time it's something you place in a person right here and right now so if your confidence is in god these things can be released into your possession at any time but you've got to know you've got to quit thinking slow you've got to start thinking accelerated because god really does want to bless you so you will engage in greater focus in spiritual not natural things you will embark on a greater future you will enjoy greater fulfillment 
The Amos 9.13 season represents a new paradigm where supernatural living becomes a daily, not once every in a blue moon, but a daily expectation. You expect favor every day. You expect blessing every day. You don't go by natural time. Your time is given over to God. God, whenever you see fit for me to bring it. And he knows what's in your heart. You want it now. Amen. You don't want it. Don't say that and think God's slow. Say it and believe God's going to accelerate things. And he'll accelerate things. Sometimes we'll, you know, we'll get involved in things like, um, you know, people will say, well, I put in an application for a job, but they're not going to choose somebody until. And you fall into the trap of natural expectation. I'm going to say it again. Because, see, when you start taking man's word over God's, you push God out of the picture. They can choose you anytime God tells them to choose you. If it's yours, you understand. Now, somebody else, if it's some for somebody else, they won't make the decision there. And they'll try to drag you along in that wait period if you'll go. Just believe God and say, God, let them let me know real soon so I'm not wasting my time. Or, God, if I need to make some more applications, I'll go ahead and make those. You know, people make an application go, you know, and that's the only one they ever put in. And they sit and wait and wait and wait and then they're disappointed. You never involved God in the thing. huh? You never involved your faith in it. God, I need an answer today. I don't want to wait X number of days. Why should I wait? I need a job now. I need to know something now. If something's out there for me, let me know it. Let me know it soon. That's what you have in your heart. That's what everybody has in their heart. Don't lie to God and say, oh, okay, I'll wait. No, you don't want to wait. You want to know. And if there's a way to accelerate that, God, accelerate it into my life. I want to know. You know, if this is mine... I want to know it's mine. I want to set aside for me, and I want that assurance. It's always good to sow in more than one seed. The field. The Bible says, "Cast your your uh, 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 bread upon the water, and divide the portion between seven or eight. Who knows when which one is going to bring your harvest into you? So it's to me, it's crazy to, to get your heart set on one. I know that's my job. You might be waiting for a while. You know, because there's no scripture to validate. What that is, is you don't like the process of being without a job, looking for a job. Nobody likes it. And you're trying to make yourself say you're in faith for something by saying, I know that's mine. How you know it? It ain't in your possession yet. That's when you know it. When you get it is when you know it. You got me? That's when you know it. That's when we all know it. Is when you get it. If people get goofy like that about people, they want to marry. You know, you want to be married so bad. I know that's my husband. No, because he married to somebody else right now. Now that you're all awake. But always give the God the option of telling you something else. Because there's things God knows about them brothers and sisters that you will never find out. Amen. And so you, <laughs> I believe it is, but God, I'm nervous about this whole thing. You better let me know if this is, this is the one or not. Huh? After you jump the broom, it is the one. You can't do nothing about it then. You're going to have to make him the one. <laughs>
Hi, little friend. 